Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Match Ball. Hello there, welcome to the show. It's brought to you with Levi Solicitors, a company that were around in 1990 and for years before that. If you'd like 10% off your legal fees, head to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan Moylan, hello. And I'm joined by Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. 30 years on from the day itself, today we celebrate a game against Aston Villa, October the 27th, 1990, and a 0-0 draw away at Villa Park 24,000 people there a game that was probably more exciting than it sounds Villa were a good team you don't necessarily think of it at first side I'm pretty sure Andrew Comyn who was in their defence was on like day release from an accountancy course and there was um, there was all sorts of stuff going on around that and Dennis Nielsen's brother Kent also playing but they just before this match had beaten Inter Milan which is the Inter Milan with Walter Zenger in goal Bremer in defence, Bergami, Lothar Mateus, Nicola Berti, Jurgen Klinsmann, managed by Giovanni Trapattoni, and they've sent out Tony Cascarino, Gordon Cowens, David Platt, and beat them 2-0 at Villa Park. So we're up against a good side and coming away with a, a point and managing to stop them scoring. Probably not to be sniffed at given recent form when we've just been embarrassed against QPR. Pearson better than Klinsmann then? Is that what we can con- conclude from this? At least as good, because neither of them scored against Villa. And if you want to compare the two, I'd, I'd Chapman and Mateus. Yes. In charge of Leeds United then, the very non-exotic Howard Wilkinson, but in charge of Aston Villa at this time. Do you remember this name? Dr. Joseph Wenglos. I can't decide if he sounds more like a war criminal who maybe faced charges at Nuremberg or whether he sounds like a Bond villain. One of the two. He's not a proper doctor either. I looked him up. He's got a doctor in PE. It's like a Dave Hockaday with ideas above his station. He's a, a PE doctorate. So, I mean, I'm not sure about these foreign managers. I don't think they'll catch on. I don't think he's, I mean, they've obviously, they've lost Graham Taylor, haven't they, Villa, and they just don't look the same side. And, and Taylor himself has made a good start as England manager. I, I can see us going on to win stuff under him. Do I like that? Lineups then today. Lukic, Sterling, Kamara, Batty, Fairclough, White, Strachan, Pearson, Chapman, McAllister and Speed completing the first 11 with Verardi and Snodin on the bench for Villa. Some of those exotic names that Moscow mentioned there. Spink, Komen, Gray, that's Stuart Gray, uh, Christopher Price. It, didn't he play Dracula? Um, Derek Mountfield, Kent Nielsen, uh, Paul Birch, Gordon Cowens, Tony Daly, David Platt and Tony Cascarino completing their lineup. And in our midfield then, one David Batty who has an opinion on this. I'm quite enjoying as we go through these matches discovering David Batty taking to the first division as if he just doesn't care. We had him um, out to thrash Sheffield Wednesday the other week. And this week, bearing in mind the players I just described playing for Inter Milan, Klinsmann, Mateus, Bremer, David Batty says, one thing's for certain, will cause them more problems than Inter did. Batty as well, famously not a massive football fan despite being a footballer. So have you did you know any of these players are, David? Did you see any of them play at the World Cup? Nah, but Chapman's handful struggle. He wanted to watch it. There was a big story in midweek about 
um, how the players were using it as like a scouting mission because the, the Inter Milan match was on television. So, oh, we can we can see what they're doing, but you won't have bothered. Imagine that games being on television so you could see what had happened. Again, another thing that we'll never ever catch on. What's interesting in this game is that it foreshadowed what happened the season after where, I mean, spoiler alert, I don't know if you've heard, I know it's 1990 right now, but we do quite well next season. But this season, we saw a particular tactical move from Howard Wilkinson. Which wasn't even the first time. He had, uh, if there was one thing Howard Wilkinson could do, it was neutralising Tony Daly. Tony Daly, who was absolutely brilliant, pure pace at a time when people probably considered, I mean, Chris Kamara actually after the game is complimented on his pace by um, Howard Wilkinson. He's 32 and um, probably not in, in the best shape he's ever been. But Daly was the real deal. And the first time this happened, it was against, uh, we played Villa in the League Cup the season before. And the natural choice to, to stop him playing was Mike Whitlow, man marking him, a racing car going into turbo, leaving Daly for dust. But at the moment, Whitlow is still struggling with concussion that he got in the, the Leicester game weeks before, um, so wasn't available. So it was Chris Kamara, 32 years old, playing his first ever First Division football match. And um, although he was um, marking Tony Daly, he was pretty much just sticking to, to left-back. He wasn't following him all over the pitch. Meanwhile, David Bassey had his own job to do because their other big threat was David Platt, who absolutely loved running from midfield and scoring headers and volleys. So it was um, the two danger men and the two neutralizers. When you said that Wilco knew how to neutralize him, I had visions of him performing a vasectomy on him in, in later life. I, I'll finish you off. Um, speaking of David Platt, he was he was in the national psyche at this moment as well, because obviously he'd had that famous goal against Belgium in the World Cup only a few months before this. And Tony Cascarino, had, was he playing for Ireland at this point fraudulently? As he was as legitimate as anybody else. That's what I mean. Villa were always a bit weird, and there was a lot of. Um, I mean, what we were saying about Dr. Joseph Fengloss was another, very. Uh, another communist. Very just accurate. like the QPR goalkeeper from Czechoslovakia, isn't he? Although I, I, I can't see Czechoslovakia lasting, to be honest. I think um, he was at the World Cup, wasn't he, in fact, Vengloss? He'd been there, the manager there. So he was, uh, he was fresh from a, an international competition. Spreading his ideas. Poison is poison. His communist poison. That's what he was doing. Rolling the ball out. He was assistant when they won the European Championships in 76 when they beat the Netherlands and West Germany so he did actually have a, a legitimate track record and was quite successful in Europe with clubs from Czechoslovakia I can't remember exactly which ones he coached but he knew what he was doing but he didn't speak English so he was rubbish again never catch on what is Johnny Foreigner doing coming over here not learning the Queens it's an absolute disgrace and we shouldn't stand for that now or at any point in the future don't care about his fancy coaching ideas <laughs> Where's that ever got, got anybody? As for like the shape of the game, what happened in this one then? For a nil-nil, it, it, we need to let, let's let's make this a masterpiece. Let's fill out this painting. Well, from our point of view, we stopped them, and I think that's the big thing. Um, as you mentioned, David Platt was one of the stars of the the World Cup, um, and he was reduced. He, he had one header that only just went over. That was the only time he he got away from Batty. Really, there was two other half chances, but he, he just hit them from the edge of the box. There was no no real danger. And um, Tony Daly um, didn't have a sniff. Chris Kamara was man of the match. We, Sterling had our best chance um, headed against the bar and then um, Batty had to save us in the last few minutes. They had loads of corners at the end. Derek Mountfield, who always had a very strange moustache around this time, that probably put him off 
when he was heading a, a chance from a corner and Batty headed it back off the line. And then Tony Cascarino blocked one from Platt. The only downside for us, I suppose, is it's another game that we haven't scored. I know we scored two against QPR, but we discussed the state of Donkey Pearson in that match and the way we let it go. And we're persisting with Pearson and Chapman up front, but not getting any goals against... I mean, Derek Mountfield is a very capable defender, but Comin is a bit of an unknown. Wilco, you forget, sometimes had this determination to shut games down, didn't he? It was, it was very pragmatic in that regard. And I guess because Leeds had only just come up, there was a certain amount of self-preservation going on because you can see looking through this, I mean, I didn't realise until we started going through this just how much John Pearson had played, for example, because the post-promotion Leeds United in my mind is Tony DiRigo, it's Rod Wallace. And so and you realise that obviously we haven't signed them just yet. And there's a real second division vibe to a lot of this squad. They haven't quite rounded the squad off in the way that you might want. I think maybe you forget about Pearson because he never scores. He scored against Sheffield United. I suppose so. He made his entire life. He was the happiest man around. I've always had fixed in my mind a quote, possibly apocryphal from John Pearson, that he could have played for England. He just never got the same breaks as Gary Lineker. But the the big problem at this point is Bobby Davison's been injured with the, the ankle injury, I think, that kept him out at Bournemouth when Carl Schutt had to take over um, without being told. And um, he would have been first choice to be partnering Chapman. But then... Um, Short had a little holiday in Sweden trying to get his fitness sorted and uh, after John Pearson and Imre Varadi it's, it's one of the two to partner Chapman So despite their late pressure we got to the end with nil-nil and, and what was the sort of general overall feeling about this were we pleased to get a point were they pleased to get a point I think perhaps we can hear from criminal Vengloss Wasn't expecting a Vengloss voice um, Czechoslovakian mm-hmm. Be careful <laughs> We have no excuses this was not the... It feels a bit Kremlin, does that? A bit threatening. This was not a bad performance. Okay. But one must give credit to Leeds. They came very well prepared tactically and made it difficult for us to create openings. I mean, we've already established he didn't speak English, so I'm disappointed that you haven't used his native tongue when doing that. And the better performance when the Woodish get credit to the Leeds. They proper tactically as in the difficult opening. <laughs> Love that, yeah. Very good. That's what I thought he said. We had reaction from Tony Daly as well. It was all about giving credit to Leeds more than anything else. Vengloss gave us the credit and um, Tony Daly said as well, I didn't play particularly badly, but it wasn't the standard I was seeking. Full marks to Chris Kamara for the job he did. And Cammy, as people know him now, uh, was very happy about getting his first game and, and playing so well. And it was... Um, it sounds boring with a nil-nil draw, but I think defending our style of play and the fact that we're man-marking players like Tony Daly did kind of come from being new boys in the division. And we were having difficulty. Vengloss will give us all the credit, but it was interesting that in the build-up to this match, Howard Wilkinson had been giving plenty to Andy Roxburgh, who was um, not necessarily involved in this match, but was in having his say anyway, because he was Scotland manager at the time and wasn't happy with the way that Gary McAllister um, was being used he told the newspaper that uh, Gary McAllister was having to play a game totally foreign to him. And that's for Howard Wilkinson, not even Joseph Fengloss. Roxburgh was uh, quoted as saying, at Leeds, he rarely runs more than 10 yards either way, with the ball being bombed over his head. And um, Wilkinson was not at all happy. He said, I would have thought his job with Scotland gave him enough to think about without trying to do mine as well. Gary hasn't exactly set the world on fire at club level immediately after returning from trips with the Scottish team. 
and comments like this seem to indicate why. We spent a million pounds recruiting Gary McAllister because of his talent of passing the ball and potential as a midfield playmaker. The only role foreign to Gary McAllister is the way Scotland deploy him on the right side of midfield. But that's Mr Roxburgh's department. I wonder if there's something in what he's saying, because I, I must admit from watching these games, I do feel McAllister could be used a bit more. But it's early days, isn't it? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Just returning to Roxburgh for a minute. During the break there, just had a look. 1993, he left the Scotland job. Do you know what he's done in football since? Nothing. Nothing. Well, he's, he essentially runs FIFA. Again? Nothing. It's the um, I can't remember his exact job title. So he's corrupt as well. You're saying he's I think he's like technical director of world football and has been since the the mid 1990s. So he is he is kind of regarded as the the top tactical mind in the world. But he didn't know how to play um, Gary McAllister though, did he? He was no Howard Wilkinson. Sounds like an idiot to me. Other fans have been ringing the police about us though in the wake of this game, and I'm not sure if I'm happy about this. What's been going on? It's actually in the build up to this game. It was a nice. If Andrew Roxburgh won't have us, QPR fans at least will. They, um, it was about how we accepted defeat against QPR and also the, um, the rounds of applause that we gave to Roy Wegley for scoring that goal. Holbeck Police Station reports, the Yorkshire Even Post, have received phone calls this week from London praising United fans for their sporting behaviour. And I hope that's resulted in a lot of Cockneys going to jail for pl- uh, wasting police time because I don't know what it's got to do with them. But yes, it was, uh, there was also, after the game, said uh, the manager of Rangers Supporters Club, our supporters were actually applauded by some of your fans by walk- while walking to our coaches. As a genuine group of supporters, we realise Elland Road is not hostile, purely partisan and loyal. It was good too to see many youngsters in your family stand, fans who surely would not be there if the media was to be believed. So at least QPR have uh, recognised that we're nice people, but I'm a, still a little bit uncomfortable. And also, I'm struck by this bizarre idea that you would phone the police to report well-behaved football fans. Talking about being nice to us, the stripy wankers. Get away. I was disappointed no one spat on my children as I left the ground. The the clapping of Roy Wegley is one thing, and I can kind of see how that happened. Applauding fans onto coaches. That that didn't happen, did it? It, it? it has the ring of an absolute lie about it. I can only imagine it was like a couple of people walking past kind of, you know, well done, lads. Safe journey home. Oh, we were we had a, an ovation, and they were all doing a special wave with the. Must be another thing with the the thumb touching the touching the the sort of index finger and uh, like waving in the air and and they showered like showered us with gifts of rocks and <laughs> and other bits of shrapnel. Such nice people. I don't know. But anyway, they're desperate to uh, they're desperate to see us down there, aren't they? Next in the uh, in the away fixture, which is uh, it may be slightly more disappointed by our away support, but we'll we'll see. And have a look at this one then. Uh, not only are we being nice to QPR, but we're pissing money away. Two million pound loss in a leaked report. Who's been leaking reports? It's a big question. But yeah, the Yorkshire Evening Post had a leaked report of um, the, the financial results aren't due out yet, as Leslie Silver, the chairman, pointed out to them. But for some reason, the YEP got rid of them and, and found that we'd lost 
two million pounds. We haven't really lost it. We've spent it. Garrett McAllister, John Lukic, and Silva did point out that there's um, it's not as bad as it looks. We're on a sound financial basis, and in fact, so far this season, we're running at a profit. And um, pointed out that we are trying to make United one of country, the country's top clubs again. And what we do not have a bottomless purse. Our aim is to give Howard Wilkinson as much support as we can. He doesn't immediately commit to signing Dean Saunders, Ali McCoist, anybody else who could possibly score a goal at that point. But it is that kind of implied. But yeah, he says that the actual results are out in a, a month or so, but not to believe that headline, two million. Leslie Silver, the sensible one as well. Bill Fotherby will be the one in the background trying desperately to spend ever ever increasing amounts of money and disappearing off to Italy to try and sign players. Bill have been hovering around Villa Park. Oh, I'm just going to... Just going to watch uh, Aston Villa ahead of the game on uh, on Saturday, throwing bags of money at. That sounds much more corrupt than I mean, but whatever it takes to sign Jurgen Klinsmann. It's interesting to see that the club possibly felt like they're under a little bit of pressure now because looking back through the results, we've only had one win in seven games now, having lost three to Luton, Spurs, and QPR last week. In amongst this Villa draw, we've got the Palace draw, Arsenal draw, only beat Sheffield United. So you can see why there might have been a, a sort of a, a little bit of a fractious atmosphere around the club. And also there's the fact that people actually can't get into the ground because there's been a problem going on all season with um, season tickets. You had to have um, a premier card sent out as well. And um, the suppliers, a company from Stoke called Synchro, basically messed the whole thing up. I couldn't find the, um, the reports weren't clear because the, um, the digitised version of the, the Yorkshire Evening Post has a smudge. But I think it says we sold 27,000 season tickets, which is well over £3 million worth of revenue, but people couldn't get in. The club secretary had quit a week before the actual season started and said the job has become 99% hassle. There is a, there's a YouTube clip of that somewhere. I was trying to find it, but I, it's, like it's in the middle of a, a calendar news clip or something, and he, he does just, he is basically just doing a TTFN dickhead. So he's just like, yeah. There's just too much stuff on and I hate this. I hate it, so I'm leaving. And for some reason, they've put it on the local news. I'm going mean interrailing or something. What did, pe- what did people do? They didn't go to Thailand then, did Computers. They? Computers, they're never going to catch on, are they? Interesting to note the revenue there of, what is it, over three million quid in season tickets. And actually, we've got a sort of an equivalent amount of season ticket holders now. And the, the season ticket revenue is somewhere in the region of about 10 to 12 million, isn't it? So you can see that prices have gone up kind of fourfold across the, uh, across the last 30 years. But thankfully, the ticket arrangements are always smooth now because of computers. Uh, there's, I've never, have, in the last decade or so, I've never heard of anyone struggling to use a Leeds United ticket system. So it just goes to show these things do improve. I did quite like the the new incoming secretary, Nigel Pleasance, taking quite a good um, a good stance towards Synchro and their computer system. We he said he's, uh, he's refusing to pay them until this is sorted out. And then I am tempted to have this equipment torn out and stuck in the middle of the car park. We apologise to our fans and assure them we're doing everything possible to solve this problem. You, you never heard that from Sean Harvey. Sean Harvey, you basically just said, suck it up. And we're hearing plans now from within the club. It's not all bad news. Some good news here that Ellen Road is set to become a 40,000 all-seater stadium because I think, all being well, in the not-too-distant future, the World Cup will be coming to England. It's within the club in the sense that the council are the, the landlords, but it's the council leader, John Trickett, who... Uh, who is putting us forward as part of the, the bid for the 1998 World Cup when he says uh, well before 1998 Leeds will have one of the finest stadiums in the country with the, the redevelopment plans that we were talking about the other week. But that's something to aim for. 
think with the, the plans for the magnificent new East Stand, I don't see France having a chance at getting that, to be honest. And remember, at this point, it's the West Stand as well. The two of, uh, are going to be finished before this, filling in the corners as well. Is, um, part of it because the, uh, the... The West Stand does need doing, in fairness. It's, it's looking a bit sorry for itself, isn't it? Imagine what it's going to look like in another 30 years. Well, it'll all be sorted by 1998 and will be fit to... Uh, they said that they're aspiring for it to be able to host international semi-finals. So, World Cup semi-final at Allen Road. Graham Taylor's England, no less. Sounds good, to be fair, that it does sound good. But it wasn't all sweetness and light with the council, though, because they're, uh, they're on that bloody ground. If only we hadn't sold them that bloody ground, they wouldn't be giving us all this chip. Yeah, we're, um, we're second-class citizens, unfortunately. Hunslet Rugby League use Elland Road as well. And although at the start of the season, Howard Wilkinson made a, a big plea, he said, please, can we have Tuesday nights so that we have time for the players to recover? Our Rumbelows Cup match against Oldham has been moved to the Wednesday Halloween because um, Hunslet have rearranged their game against Lee for Tuesday night. So it means after 90 minutes of, no, how long's a rugby league match? 80 minutes of rugby on it on Tuesday night um, in Autumn, we go playing it on Wednesday night ahead of um, a league match after that. And it could even go to extra time in the League Cup, which is unhelpful. Oldham like a torn up pitch as well, don't they? So it'll be playing right into their hands. Well, you mentioned Halloween there, which means that we have bonfire night on the agenda and the pre-bonfire night fixture is coming up against Forest. So let's hope we can burn down the trees. Hey, that's the next fixture. We will reconvene and hopefully Leeds United will start to get back to winning ways. 3rd of November when we face the trees at Ellen Road. The Matchball. 